Section twenty nine of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Section twenty nine A Thorn in the Garden of Roses. I did not think anything could have been more cleverly managed, said Lord Vivian. You have brought nothing with you? No, she replied, and the thought rose in her mind. I have left all I ought to value most behind, but prudently enough refrained from speaking. I do not see how it can be possible to trace us, he continued, even should one try. Earl will try, she said with a slight shudder. He will look the world through, but he will find me in the end. Her face grew slightly pale as she spoke, and Lord Vivian drew near to her. You were not frightened at Earl, nor any one else while you were with me, Dora. He preferred this name to Doris, and the fanciful change pleased her greatly. You need not be frightened, Dora, he continued. You do not surely imagine that I am unable to take care of you. I was not thinking of you, but of Earl, she said simply. I am always rather frightened when I think of him. He loved me so very much, and losing me will drive him mad. An expression of impatience came over Lord Vivian's face. He was passionately in love with a beautiful girl before him but he had no intention to play the comforter in this moment of his triumph. "'Say no more of Earl, Dora. If he annoys you so much, the worse for him. Now we will order breakfast, then take the ten o'clock express for London. I had even thought of crossing over to Calais to-day, if you are not too tired.' Her face brightened at the thought. Earl was already forgotten. "'That will be charming,' she replied, all graver thoughts forgotten in the one great fact that she was going where she would be admired beyond all words.' Then, for the first time in her life, Doris sat down to a dainty and sumptuous breakfast. It was all novel to her, even this third-rate splendour of the Liverpool Hotel. The noiseless, attentive servants, the respect and deference shown to them, delighted her. After all, she thought to herself, this is better than Brackenside. Then Lord Vivian turned to her with a smile. "'You are so sensible, Dora,' he said, "'that I can talk to you in quite at my ease, "'and that is a great treat after listening to the whims and caprices "'of women of the fashionable world.' "'With artful sophistry he stated that for family reasons "'it would be inadvisable, if not really rash, to have a marriage ceremony, "'that at the present time it would utterly blight his prospects. "'When two loving hearts were joined by their own free consent "'and vowed to live for each other, "'the union was just as binding,' he argued, "'as though a clergyman had united them. "'To prevent recognition and gossip, "'it would be necessary for him to change his name, "'and for the future,' he added, "'we shall travel and be known as Mr. and Mrs. Conyers.' "'This plan did not please Doris. "'It was not what she had anticipated. "'Being a farmer's daughter,' she thought, "'he thinks me unfit to associate with his titled friends.' "'but for all that I shall show him that I am their equal. "'Yes, he shall change his mind. "'I shall so fascinate him that he will yet be glad to proclaim me his wife, the Lady Vivian.' "'She now began to realise that she had made the first false steps "'in deceiving the trusting poet, Earl Moray, "'and in consenting to a secret departure from her humble home and loving parents. "'Yet the die was cast. "'Ambition and a determination to accomplish her wishes forced her forward.' She had great confidence, as we have seen, in the influence of her beauty. Therefore, after some half-hearted objections, which he adroitly overcame by his specious arguments, she consented to all his plans. "'Trust me, dear Dora,' he said delightedly, "'and you shall have everything your heart can desire.' By the time breakfast was over, and it was time to leave the hotel, if they wished to catch the morning train for London, with no fuss or excitement, just as if he was playing for a cigar, 
Lord Vivian settled his bill, gave a liberal fee to the waiter, a golden guinea, and half an hour later Mr. and Mrs. Conyers were in a first-class compartment on the train for the great metropolis. When they reached London, Lord Vivian said, looking with a smile at his companion's plain dress, "'You cannot go to Paris in that fashion, Dora. You must have some suitable dresses. It will not be too late for Madame Delamy's. You had better go there at once.' As she desired nothing better, she held out her white hand to him with a charming gesture. "'You must advise me,' she said. "'I shall not know what to buy. This was the most extensive purchase of my life.' She pointed to a plain dark silk dress which Mrs. Brace thought much too good for a farmer's daughter. "'I know what will suit your fair style of beauty,' he said. "'A rich costume of purple velvet.' Her eyes shone with delight. "'Purple velvet!' Her ambition was realised. For a few moments she was speechless with joy. She forgot altogether, in that, the first realisation of her dream, the price she had paid for it. In the next hour Doris was standing, flushed and beautiful, in Madame Delamay's room. If Madame had any idea who her aristocratic customer was, she made no sign. When he said that Mrs. Conyers was going abroad, and that she wanted to begin with an elegant travelling costume, the lady blandly acquiesced. Even Madame Delamay, accustomed as she was to aristocratic beauty, marvelled at the high-bred loveliness of the girl before her. Very young to be Mrs. Conyers, very young to be married. She looked involuntarily at the small white hand. A gold ring shone there. Was it a wedding ring? Madame Delamay knew the world pretty well, but she sighed as she gazed. Her artistic talents were called into play. She had not often so lovely a patron to dress, nor carte blanche as to the number and price of the dresses. She took a positive pleasure in enhancing the girl's beauty, in finding rich, delicate lace for the white neck, and rounded arms, in finding shining silks and rich velvets. And when Doris stood arrayed in marvellous costume, the graceful, slender figure shown to the greatest advantage by the dress, the dainty colouring of the face made more beautiful by contrast with the rich purple, then Madame raised her hands in silent admiration, then trusted she should again have the pleasure of seeing Mrs. Conyers. Lord Vivian said to Doris in a low voice, I think you have all that you require here. You can get more in Paris when you have a maid. Madame Delamay said to herself as they left the place that no matter how long she lived, she should never forget the face of Mrs. Conyers. Once more they were driving through London streets, and this time Doris was too happy to think of anything except her dresses. Lord Vivian could not take his eyes off that beautiful face. He congratulated himself over and over again on his wonderful good fortune. Who could have thought, he said to himself, that so fair a flower blossomed in that obscure place? And while he looked at her, it seemed to him, as it had done to Gregory Leslie, that there was something familiar in the face, that he had either seen that or one very like it before. A few more days, and they were settled in one of the most luxurious mansions near the Tuileries. Then, indeed, was every wish of Doris's heart fulfilled. Well-trained servants wasted upon her, the magnificent rooms were carpeted with velvet pile, the hangings were of the richest silks and lace. Wherever she went, large mirrors showed the beautiful figure from head to foot. She had a carriage and a pair of horses that were the admiration of all Paris. She had jewels without number, and more dresses than she could wear. She had a maid whose business it seemed to be to anticipate every wish. What more could she desire? Lord Vivian was kind, he did not treat her with any great amount of deference. There was, however, one very good characteristic, as she thought it. He was unaboundedly generous. If she expressed a wish, he never hesitated about gratifying it. He never counted either trouble or expense. Enhanced by the aid of dress, of perfume, by the skill of a Parisian maid, her beauty became dazzling. 
he was very proud of her he liked to drive out with her and see all the looks of admiration cast upon her he liked to feel himself envied she was without exception the fairest woman in paris and his pride in her was proportionately great the opera was then in full tide of success and doris never wearied of going there it was not that she was particularly fond of music but she enjoyed the triumph of her own bright presence she was the observed of all observers the sensation that her fair loveliness created was not to be surpassed one other asked who is it the beautiful englishwoman mrs conyers who was mrs conyers no one knew and there lay the sting there was one thorn in her garden of roses she drained the cup of pleasure to the dregs she missed no fate no opera she was introduced to gentlemen but never to ladies she had pleasant little dinners where some of the wittiest conversation took place but no ladies came near and she would fain have seen herself envied by women as well as admired by men that was one thing she desired above all others but there was no one to envy her she asked lord vivian one day why it was he looked at her and laughed a most peculiar laugh i'm afraid dora that you must learn to be content with the society of gentlemen she understood then it was one of the penalties of her sin another thing annoyed her and made the gaieties of paris unpleasing to her she was walking with lord vivian in the champs elysees and suddenly she saw him start and looking at him his face flushed hotly how unfortunate he muttered to himself then she saw in the distance a little group of english people a young gentleman who was talking to an elderly woman with a mild sad face and a tall dark girl with proud bright eyes the gentleman saw lord vivian first but instead of stopping to speak his lordship turned quickly away much to doris's disappointment i would not have missed seeing these people on any account he said impatiently why did you not speak to them she asked wonderingly how could i he retorted while you were here she made no reply but the words struck her with a terrible pain she the fairest woman in paris she whom earl called his queen it was not to be borne she went home resolved if possible to alter this state of things and if she could not to go away from paris we will go to italy she thought where he will not meet english people whom he knows her desire was granted five days after that little scene she was with lord vivian in one of the prettiest villas near naples End of section twenty nine